Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. On September 8, 2009, in Afghanistan, Marine Sergeant Dakota Myers with his embedded patrol team was ambushed by more than 50 enemy fighters firing rocket-propelled grenades, mortars, and machine guns. Four U.S. team members were cut off by the enemy, and Sergeant Myers drove his truck into intense enemy fire to rescue the trapped soldiers. He made three solo trips into the ambush area, evacuating two dozen Afghan soldiers and recovering the bodies of his fallen comrades. Sergeant Myers was subsequently awarded the Medal of Honor for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. 
what causes some people to extend themselves in compassionate service in a time of urgent need, while others stand idly by or retreat? This question is at the heart of our gospel lesson in St. Luke chapter 10. The story of the Good Samaritan has been looked at in several different ways over the years. In the Middle Ages, it was given an allegorical interpretation where the events and characters in the story received a symbolic spiritual meaning. The wounded man represented Adam. Jerusalem, from which he journeyed, represented the state of innocence from which Adam fell. The thieves who beat him up were the devil, who deprived Adam of eternal life. The priest and the Levite stood for Old Testament religion, which passed by and couldn't help the needy man. The Good Samaritan is the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to his rescue, and the inn to which he was taken is the church. While allegorical interpretation certainly has valuable insights to offer, there is another way to look at the parable. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Good Samaritan, who in his great love and mercy has compassion on sinners. It is his compassion on sinners that becomes not only a way of life, but a way to life. Remember that when Jesus was on the earth, the religious authorities became increasingly hostile towards him. In the end, they plotted to bring about his downfall. One of the methods they used to defeat Jesus was to try to get him to make a statement or draw a conclusion which they could then use as evidence against him. As early as St. Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we read, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might destroy him. So they sent one of the experts in the Jewish law to Jesus to give him a test of his orthodoxy. Verse 25 says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was not the first time nor the last time that a lawyer asked a trick question. Jesus doesn't argue with the lawyer. He simply says in verse 26, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer, no doubt, felt very confident to answer Jesus' question. He was an expert in his field and had no hesitation replying with quotations from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, part of the Shema, a confession regularly made in Jewish worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. This was part of the worship liturgy used each Sabbath day in Jewish synagogue worship. Jesus approved of the lawyer's reply in verse 28. Excellent, he said. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Notice that Jesus didn't deny the moral demands of the Old Testament law. 
The ceremonial and sacrificial systems were soon to pass away, having their complete fulfillment in Christ. But the moral law continues in force as God's righteous standard for all time. The very wording of the lawyer's question revealed his spiritual state. He asked, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Apparently, he didn't see the contradiction in his own words. No one receives an inheritance by doing something. An inheritance is received as a gift because one has a relationship with someone. Like so many people in the world, often well-meaning and decent living people, this man thought of eternal life as something earned through one's own good works rather than freely given by God's grace as we believe and cooperate with Him. This is fundamentally important. Eternal life is not a matter of what must I do for God, but rather what has God accomplished for me that I need to receive and keep on daily receiving by obeying my Lord. Jesus knew that the lawyer, like every other human being since Adam, had failed to keep the law. So he told the story of the Good Samaritan to prick this man's conscience, humble him, and show him that he was a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy. The lawyer thought he did love God and his neighbor as the law demanded. Jesus desired to show him his error and bring the man to recognize his true spiritual need. When Jesus answered, Do this and you will live, the listening crowd knew that the lawyer had tried to ask a trick question to which he already knew the answer. He was well aware that if he kept the first and great commandment, he would live. Verse 29 says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, To restore his dignity and to attempt to appear right before the crowd, the lawyer asks another question, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer asks this question because there was an argument going on in Jesus' day between rabbis as to whether Gentile converts to Judaism could be considered neighbors. Some of the Jewish leaders restricted the definition of neighbor to Jews alone. One even went so far as to say that it was illegal to help a Gentile woman suffering in childbirth. Perhaps the lawyer thought he might be able to get Jesus embroiled in this controversy. What the lawyer wanted to debate with Jesus was the definition of a neighbor. What is the meaning of neighbor? And who really is my neighbor? It was an attempt to define neighbor as the object of love, so that once you have defined who is your neighbor and excluded all the others, you are only required to love a certain group of people. Now watch this. Jesus' story is talking about neighbor as subject, the one who acts like a true neighbor, with compassion towards an unfortunate victim. As we will discover, love does not define its object. 
love freely gives to whomever is in its path. Now Jesus is a wise, wonderful master teacher. Instead of entering into a debate, he tells a simple story which gets at the heart of the matter. There are four distinct characters in the story Jesus told. The first is the man traveling the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a notoriously dangerous road. Jerusalem is at 2,300 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea near Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. Therefore, in less than 20 miles, the road dropped 3,600 feet. On either side of the road were gullies, rocky outcroppings, and sudden hairpin turns. Robbers and troublemakers over the centuries hid in these hills and attacked travelers. Josephus the historian in the first century called the road desolate and rocky. In the fifth century, this road was still referred to as the bloody way because of the numbers of people brutalized or killed on the road. Unfortunately for this traveler, bandits attacked him and he was beaten and left for dead by the roadside, stripped of all his possessions. The other three characters were traveling separately, probably the opposite way to Jerusalem, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest and the Levite ignored the plight of the victim, but the Samaritan had compassion on him and did his utmost to provide help and comfort in very dangerous circumstances. Jesus didn't have to give an explanation of the story to the lawyer. It spoke for itself. Jesus asked, Which now of these three do you think was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? The only possible answer was, he that showed mercy on him. are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Let's look at the behavior of the priest and Levite to see what lessons can be learned. The first approach adopted by the priest and Levite in leaving the wounded man to his fate was the I don't do anybody any harm approach. What they did was turn God's positive command to love your neighbor into the less demanding and neutral stance of 
I don't do anyone any harm. What they failed to recognize is that refraining from mistreating our neighbor doesn't mean that we have shown love to him. The priest and the Levite could have justified their lack of real love by saying that it was dangerous to do so. The robbers might still be nearby. They might be ambushed and mugged. They could also have argued that it was unbiblical for them to stop and help, for there was a religious law which made them ceremonially unclean if they touched a dead body. To be ceremonially unclean meant that they would have to go through a ritual cleansing before performing their religious duties at the temple. That would be a great inconvenience. They might also justify their neglect of the injured man because their interpretation of the law of love put them under no obligation to those outside the Jewish race and religion. We live in a suffering world. There are people everywhere who are wounded and hurting. Some have been robbed and beaten by their parents who abuse them instead of loving them. Some have been left half dead in desperate situations as a result of their own foolish choices. Some have been damaged by false teaching or let down by so-called Christians and Christian churches which have deceived them. We come across these dear people often in our daily contacts. This is our opportunity to be their neighbor. What should we do? We are to be good neighbors, to show mercy to anyone who comes across our path from any nation, race, or ethnic group. When Jesus selected a Samaritan as the hero of the story, the lawyer was left almost speechless. The reason was that the Jews held the Samaritans in utter contempt. They were looked down upon by the Jews as members of a corrupt race, as a nation of half-breeds and illegitimates. They were publicly cursed in the synagogues as heretics, and prayers were offered to God begging to deny them eternal life. There was no lost love between Jews and Samaritans. Now, let's look at the Samaritan. The Samaritan walking this road notorious for violence came upon the beaten traveler. Even though the priest and the Levite ignored their responsibility to love, the Samaritan didn't. Jesus made the point that he came, he saw, and he did. The Samaritan had legs of mercy, eyes of compassion, and a heart of pity. We must learn to do the same. Our task is to go to people in need, feel the plight of others, and do good works of mercy for them. Jesus said in verse 33 that the Samaritan had compassion on him. This wonderful word means to be greatly moved by feeling, to be compelled to action. The principle here is that true compassion is love in action. It may result in moving into situations which, humanly speaking, ought to be avoided. But the love of Christ breaks down barriers and moves us to works of 
mercy, and pity. When I was a student at Wheaton College, one of my professors moved his wife and young children into downtown Chicago to one of the poorest, neediest sections of town. He felt God calling him to live out compassion in action. He was criticized by some of the faculty and staff, but he wanted to demonstrate to the poor and needy of Chicago that he was a Christian in word and deed. The Samaritan ministered to the victim of the mugging. He bandaged his wounds, poured in oil and wine, put him on his donkey, and took him to an inn. Caring is costly. It took time to stop by the beaten-up man and give him first aid. The priest and the Levite were so busy doing many religious things that they were too busy to stop and help a traveler in need. Not long ago, at approximately 3.20 in the morning, a 28-year-old woman was returning to her home in the middle-class area of Queens, New York. She was a nurse and had gotten off her nightly shift. She parked her car in the parking lot, turned off the car lights, and started walking to her second-floor apartment about 35 yards away. A man jumped out of the shadows and grabbed her. She screamed. Lights went on in the apartment building nearby. She yelled, Help! He stabbed me! Please help me! Windows opened in the apartment building and a man's voice shouted, Leave that girl alone! The attacker looked up, shrugged, and walked off down the street. The woman struggled to get to her feet. Lights went back off in the apartments. The attacker returned and stabbed her again. She again cried out, I'm dying! Help me! I'm dying! And again the lights came on, the windows were opened in many of the nearby apartments, the assailant ran off, got into his car, and drove away. The bleeding woman staggered to her feet as a city bus drove by. It was now 3.35 a.m. The attacker returned once again, found the woman in a doorway at the foot of the stairs, and stabbed her to death. Finally, at 3.50, the police received a phone call. They responded quickly and within two minutes were at the scene. But the woman was dead. How could this possibly happen in middle-class New York? It happened because people are often too indifferent, too frightened, and too self-absorbed to get involved in helping a fellow human being in urgent need. Detectives investigating the murder discovered that no fewer than 38 neighbors had witnessed at least one of the killer's three stabbings, but had neither come to her aid nor called the police. Living an orderly, calm, and disciplined life is laudable, but not when we fail to respond to urgent human need right in front of us. Caring takes time. Caring takes money. The Samaritan gave freely of his own resources. He gave his own wine and oil, put the man on his own donkey, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him, promising the innkeeper he would pay the bill. Caring requires commitment. As St. Ignatius of Loyola prayed, Teach us, good Lord, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wound, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, save that of knowing we do thy will, O Lord. God knows us. He knows our circumstances, and he will not ask more of us than we are able through his strength to give. After experiencing the story of the Good Samaritan, can you think of a person who fully fits the picture? Remember, in the allegorical treatment of the story, our Lord Jesus himself is the perfect Good Samaritan. He is the ultimate model of love in action. Jesus cared when caring was costly to the point of death. Our Lord says to each of us in verse 37, Go and do likewise. It is not popular or convenient to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to suffer hardship and temptation. To be a Christian is to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. But being a Christian and living out the law of love to our neighbor is the right thing to do. Now, friends, how do we put this parable into action? First, remember that our neighbor is whoever God puts in our path. Whoever is before us is the person that we are to love. Second, remember that God will demonstrate love through you in a myriad of different ways. God doesn't only need pastors and church leaders. He needs plumbers, carpenters, homemakers, teachers, artists, architects, engineers, technicians, and businessmen who are surrendered to him and his kingdom. Let his love flow through you to your neighbor, using whatever gifts he has given to you. For of him and through him and to him are all things To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E, ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. 
Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint.